Thank you, Janet Lee. And I will never get tired of saying that because I so enjoy your playing by the Spirit. And hello out there, everyone. Well, this is Sunday, May 15th, 2016. And this is Exodus Escape 29. And the theme is about conductorship of holy leaps. Plus, we have a lot more to say. Well, you know, we've been talking in the past weeks quite a bit about the word, the term Sela, S-E-L-A-H, and it can be spelt S-E-L-A. The Peshito Bible translation renders the meaning of Sela to be from before the world. The Jewish Targum renders the meaning of Sela to be as forever. So in this elongated moment of Sela, may the Ancient of Days, the Rock of Ages, energize your ears and open your eyes. Because there are things here today that I want to share with you that are riding the white horse of the hundredfold ministry. So you need to think deeply to be able to really landscape all of it into your mind. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the holy name of God. So from the printout that we send out, um, I want to... Uh, to share that printout with you and uh, let you get a, a picture. I want you to get a picture of um, what I sent out because it's such a perfect description of the message in part at least. So here it goes. This was the mail out. It is written that things on earth are patterns Manifotus of the heavens. Isn't that interesting that there are things on earth that are patterns of the, he of the heavens? Well, don't ever cease to recognize and to forget that the earth, the sun, the moon, and the planets and the all of this solar system are a part of the universe. And while it is a distinctive part. It is a part of the universe. And to think that though the earth in particular can be utilized as to certain patterns of things in nature, certain patterns of things in events, certain patterns of things in its sky and atmosphere are a kind of uh, manifotus. Manifotus meaning signs of the heavens found symbolically in physical things on this planet and its environment. And so the things on earth are patterns, the Bible says, of the heavens. 
There are many levels of these patterns. It is these very channels or gates. Now, very interesting, the word gates can also mean channels. Channels can also mean gates. Um, and the Bible says, open the gates, open ye the gates, and let the, the Lord of glory come in. Well, another way to say it is open the channel of your, of your human body, the channel of your human mind, the channel of your spirit, and let the glory of God come in. That open, which allows events that can, em that can emerge of change in advance, or it could be a negative of a fall away. And so these actions of Manifotus, the patterns are absolutely essential to know, to be able to understand the fullness of the message. Now, as we go on and as we talk about this, it was recognized that Jesus Christ spoke differently than the common human masses converse. This difference of speaking was seen by the choice of words and the terms used unlike the use of words said in ways never heard before. The Exodus escape connection. What is the Exodus escape, escape connection from the Torah and the Old Testament to the New Testament and to Jesus Christ. Well, in Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord thy God will raise up, this is what it says, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which specifically refers to not just any Lord, because there's Lords out there that mean masters, and they're masters over human persons, and there's lords of darkness. But this particular spelling of the Lord, all caps, refers to Yahweh, Yahweh, and, and used to be uh, said uh, Jehovah. And there's still uh, some people that use that uh, enunciation, that enunciation. And so, the connection of the Exodus escape, the Moses connection, Deuteronomy 18.15, is the prophecy that Moses gave. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and unto him you shall hearken. The Lord that was to raise up a prophet from the brethren unto Israel was the word made flesh, John 1.14 who in Exodus 19.20, KJV, is written of, and it says this, and the Lord, this is the capital L, capital O, capital R-D, the Yahweh, the Yahweh-El, Lord, came down upon Mount Sinai. On the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up, and the scriptures clearly show that Jesus Christ was that person that the Bible was referring to. And in the Old Testament, that person, which is the Lord, personally met and addressed Moses. And Moses conversed with that person. 
and received incredible revelation from that person, which was the Lord. And Acts 3, 26 and Hebrews 2, 17 KJV clearly show that Jesus Christ was that prophet it talked about. Now, if you add to that the incredible story of Balaam, the prophet, who although against the well and the wishes of the religious leaders of his, his uh, connections and, and, and groups, uh, he prophesied. Balaam prophesied, and he said, there shall come a star out of Jacob. And that star was Jesus Christ. And a scepter rod. And that, of course, was the father ministry of Israel. And they shall rise out of Israel and smote the corners of Moab, or the offspring of Lot. And destroy, which really meant to purify the blood of all the children of Seth. He either spell it S-H-E-T-H or S-E-T-H. Both spellings are in the Bible. And we've taught recently that Seth was uh, regenerated as Moses. So the awesomeness of this is expanded and expanded and expanded. Numbers 2417 KJV. All of this awesome reveal is contained in the five books of Moses called the Torah. And in a great de depth being unfolded of the 30, 60, 100 fold levels by the Holy Spirit, manifest, a manifester, a yada ministry under this title, Exodus Escape. There's been a big fire above us, north of us, and it's been a really terrible, awesome thing. And when they were describing it on um, the television, they were talking about the near 100,000 people that had to evacuate the city and the whole area, just leaving no one there at all, and they called it an exodus. And that I thought was very interesting at this time. Well, the theme of this teaching is about holy leaps. And we want to talk about all the different kinds of leaps that are, are patterns in the earth, on the earth, and patterns in the, the physical heavens that are patterns of the, the holy heaven of heavens and of the Father's house. In astro-cosmic leaps, I'm reading now the broadcast announcement further, the paradox of the uncertainty principle is being oversailed by an awesome super kind of quantum leap, also comparative to holy leaps, genetic leaps, as in the dance of the genes, and in additional metaphors, of human brain nerve impulse jumps. Did you know that in your body, that how that the nerves are able to carry the neuron message as fast as they do, it's not from a straight line travel circuit, but from impulse leaps in which the, this neuron nerve message leaps from node to node and junction to junction across the potential cell membrane of your body uh, due to the effect 
that, uh, that is of the ions, or we should say this is allowed to happen, or is in, incited to happen due to the cause effect of the ions. So we see that in your body that you live with, sleep in, eat in, walk in, that this thing about the leaps is a constant thing within your body, and it's happening all the time in the impulse, impulses of your nerves and the neuron messaging and getting that message from one point to another in this quickest uh, possible efficient way is done by these impulse leaps of the nerves. And then we see that like even in a great forest fire, fire can jump and takes leaps uh, because of its intense raging blazes. And many other earth and space patterns exist that are patterns in nature, of nature, uh, set in most levels of the boundings of all the universe. So no scientist should say to not use things on earth to compare the universe because earth and things on it are a part of the universe. And as we have taught and preached, and as the Bible preaches, it says, the body without the spirit is dead. So we have to recognize the spirit in all of this. That is so absolutely important. And may the holy leaps from mountains to mountains and hills to hills and sky to sky places be with you as we get into this teaching today. And may the Holy Spirit, through this message, in the, the secret Holy Ghost word, speak to you. And may what happened to Elizabeth happen to you. Because the Bible tells us that when Mary came into the presence of Elizabeth and that she saluted her, now we are left to think about what was that salute. Well, we know that one kind of a salute was a holy kiss. And in the manifest teachings, we teach that that holy kiss represents a recognition of ancientness. Now, this was probably a different kind of salutation because it says when Elizabeth heard the salutation. So that salute was a word. Now, we know that Mary had received Holy Ghost and was pregnant with the Holy Jesus and all the wonders and the awesomeness of that virgin birth. And we know that it's totally possible that as Mary spoke this, that it could have been something that was being spoken by the Holy Ghost from even the babe Jesus Christ. And that it was therefore in a language that was unto God. And that this language of salutation, of salute, was so awesome that when Elizabeth heard it, the Bible says that the babe in her, which was John the Baptist, who was Elijah, 
regenerated into that babe, that when she heard the salutation, the babe in her womb leaped. Now this thing about leaps is very important, these holy leaps. And that is then a prelude to what then next followed. When that babe, who was John the Baptist, who was Elijah. Now, don't get confused in the scripture when they came to John and they said, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I am not. And then they went to Jesus and he, they said, they asked, is this, this John the Baptist Elijah? And Jesus said, yes, he is. They were not in conflict at all because as I have taught, that John was speaking about his physical body, that that physical body was not a duplicate of the Elijah body. And Jesus was talking about the spirit of Elijah, that it was the same spirit in John that had been in the physical Elijah body. And so when this babe leaped in the womb, the Bible says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, not just, not just received some of the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, but because she was filled with the Spirit, that then was an, was an act of receiving the Holy Ghost, which is a, a deep personification experience. And so those things are just awesome. And... Who knows when there will come forth words possibly disguised in even Old English or, or, or common English words, but that will be spoken over this broadcast and the energy of it will behave as, as those kind of words that speak to God. And so we discovered that in our teaching of the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians that when you, when you speak in, the, in your Holy Spirit directly just to God in words of the Holy Spirit that is not intelligent, is not able to be understood by the human language, that you are, you are speaking directly to God and that is of great benefit to you and no doubt great benefit uh, to the family of God people. And that when that happens, it exalts you and edifies you, especially of the sense of being edified. So I believe that what happened there was an, an edifying of Elizabeth by Mary in the salute. And so... Prepare yourself to always be ready that as we get into these salutations of this word and the salute of this word, you might have a Holy Ghost infill experience just as you are listening to this very broadcast because this broadcast is saturated with Holy Ghost definitions and Holy Ghost Holy Ghost words. Now we know that in the, the physical science world, there is what they call a quantum leap. And it refers to small amounts of 
energy, like a quantum, a small particle, uh, or, or a group of particles of light, or photons, uh, of electromagnetic radiation that take what they call a photon leap. So that is a quantum leap. And how that acts is uh, uh, in the nuclear kind of way, uh, when an electron uh, jumps its orbit, either going backwards or going uh, inward, uh, and if it goes inward, it is moving closer, closer to the um, nucleus. If it moves away, it is moving away from the, the nucleus. So this is um, so very, very, very important. Um, very important of uh, this thing about the energy levels and the, the circular orbits and how that, that is all involved with um, this whole thing of, uh, you know, the, the quantum jumps in the physical. Uh, but there is also then the um, aspect uh, of a different title that we give this thing rather than a quantum leap, uh, although, you know, it could be used to some extent. But we, we talk in terms of it being like holy leaps and, and uh, you know, other kinds of uh, relationships along that line. So um, we have in the Max Planck uh, concepts, uh, you know, uh, that are scientific, the uncertainty principle, uh, which only calculate uh, probabilities. Uh, but, you know, and I think that has to be, and, and it has its place, but in our manifest revelation, uh, uh, we're not uh, dealing with calculating the uncertainty uh, uh, probabilities. We are concentrating on calculating uh, the certainty, uh, you know, probabilities, and the things that will certainly happen. And those things are so important, uh, you know, and this manifest call that, that we have, uh, we are, are bringing this forth to be able to deal uh, with the humans out there who are all fallen stars and, and need to know the truth to be set free. And this manifest word is, is set up to pierce the intervening wall, the wall called in the New Testament the middle wall partition. And it is a wall that is of the atheist and the agnostic, of the unbeliever, of the freedom thinker whose idea of freedom is freedom from any concept of there being a God. And to pierce the intervening wall of middle partition of the scientist and the physicist and the astrophysicist and the engineers, and wherever there are any human masses who make a claim that they have no reason to believe in God. There is an atheist group who uses that title, and, and they are atheists, and they say they are atheists because they have no reason to believe in God. We want to pierce that intervening wall we want to give people a reason to believe in, in God. 
We want to abolish ignorance, to abolish the lies of the dark force, to open prisons, and to wreck the linkage string, to wreck the linkage strength of chains of bondage, to reveal and give the world a manifested vision whereby without such a vision they might perish, and to fulfill the scripture to give to every man and every person an answer who might request for one. And so that in itself is a holy leap. And it is a thing that we believe. And it, it, it abides in the power of salutation and, and edification to edify the God within us. And as we edify the God within us, then our physical person and our spirit person is edified. And that salutation can cause an effect of the Holy Ghost causing holy leaps and filling us with the Holy Ghost. So we know that in Hebrews 4.12 it talks of the dividing of the spirit and the soul. And then if you use the whole context to, as is, as is given in that scripture, uh, you can see where it's also referring uh, to the body and, and, uh, and that, that is, is covering everything like the dividing of the spirit and the soul and the body. Well, this thing of holy leaps is beautiful. And there's some of these scriptures I read to you last week, but they're just so beautiful. I want to read this again. In the song of Solomon, Solomon's Song, chapter 2. I charge you, O you daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose, R-O-E-S, and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awake my love till he please. There is this exalted thing in which people not being disturbed or promoted into believing, pressured into believing, but believing because it becomes their will to believe. To not stir them up until they are pleased to be stirred up. And then it says, there will be those things that will happen that will cause people to become stirred up and will cause people to be stirred up because in verse eight it says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills. And then in a verifying kind of ver verse of a deep fold reveal, in the 14th verse of the same chapter 2 of Solomon's song, O my dove, thou art in the cliff, the dove, O Holy Ghost, O Holy Ghost, thou art in the cliffs of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, <clears throat> Oh, this is so beautiful. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy comeliness, or thy countenance is comely. That was the kind of voice, no doubt, that, that Elizabeth heard. So as we get into the dividing of the body, the spirit, and the soul, we see it being akin to another scripture that talks about the dividing of the flames of fire. There is a reach 
there is a a point of consonance, a song as in the Solomon song that edifies and that purifies. The Bible tells us that the unsaved will one day be redeemed. And it tells us that one of the things that has to happen is there has to be a cleansing of the blood. And you find that in Joel 3, 4. I will cleanse their blood. You find that in Ezekiel 33, 4 about the blood on each one's own head if they don't stand on the watchtower and minister to the people that are lost. So we begin to understand that this is no minor message. Um, Hosea 6, 8 talks about the polluted blood. We know that in Ezekiel 16, it talks about when the mother and father of Adam cast him away because there was aspects about his body that that did not seem to be normal and and there was a kind of belief that those paganist kind of people had to kill those kind of children. But they didn't want to kill this baby, so they tossed it away, and that ended up being, being Adam. And the Bible says that he was polluted because he had in him the, the blood of those people that did not have souls. And, and so it wasn't until God breathed into him and purified him. And that breathing is connected to the whirlwind concept, which is the quickening. And, and he became a living soul. And so then as the population of the people who had souls began to expand, and there was still a population of people who did not have souls, the sixth chapter of Genesis says they begin to intermingle, and the people with the souls begin to marry people without the souls, and you have from each of them a 50% contribution. Well, the 50% contribution of the soul uh, donorship met the 50% contribution of the non-donorship and created a state of suspense so that the soul could not have inherited right. And so then you end up with these strange kinds of people that cause strange kinds of, of things like giantism. And these were some of the Seth uh, uh, reasons why Seth wanted to redeem the soul people of Abel, Abel but especially the soul people of, of, of Cain. And, and, and to break that... Uh, that that bondage where where uh, the, the the there was a suspense uh, uh, a suspending uh, because of the of the do, the donorship being equal of soul and equal of non soul so that there could not then be the 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 the, the meeting of those two uh, to create uh, either a non soul or either a a uh, uh, an, uh, a spirit soul. And then you had this strange kind of people uh, that were out there uh, that, you know, uh, were, were uh, you know, neither the pre-Adamic race in the, in the fullest sense nor the, the Adamic race in the fullest sense with souls. And so there was this 
this word that those that that pollution had to stop there had to there had to be a destruction of of all of those persons eventually that did not have souls uh, free that were free and and then they began to intermarry even more with people that did have have souls and and so uh, there began to be uh, a um, a leaping uh, that began to take place in some of the offspring so that some of those people began to have souls because there was the second uh, quantity of soul that had been added uh, because you had the people with, with, uh, that were suspended, but then when that person married a person with the soul, then that added two portions of the soul and allowed there then to be a leap of the soul, so then some of the, that offspring then could have souls. But there still remained at those persons that were in the suspense that did not have, have a soul, and they did not have a non-soul. They were just really sort of a no kind of people, and to have the, the, the seed of soul people that were fallen angels bound in that kind of a prison was a horrible thing. And so Saith was given the ministry who was in the image of Adam and then who then became born as Moses to go forth and to go to Basam, uh, Basam and to destroy those giants and all along the way to destroy those giants and, and to weigh in the balance as to the extent of soul, if a person had enough soul. And so all these scriptures about cleansing the blood, because in Acts 17, 26, it teaches that all humans were made of one blood of all nations of mankind. So all humans had human blood in them. And so to cleanse the blood was to cleanse them genetically of the portion that was put into them of the donorship of those people that were pre-Adamic that did not have souls. And that blood then had to be cleansed of that part. And so when the Bible talks in Revelations eleven six, and it says that God's people will have power over the waters to turn them into blood, that's an incredible sensational thing. It's talking about the waters which are the people and having the power to purify their blood because there's still people on this planet today that are polluted. And the Bible tells and shows in the scriptures that that's going to be right up into latter times, that, that it's going to be something that has to be done for all Israel to be saved and other people to be saved and redeemed. So... <clears throat> Revelation 7.14 says that the blood of the Lamb to, made a person who had committed sin made them white as snow by the blood of the Lamb. So this is a, a, a multiple action. There's a multiple action of cleansing the blood from the genetic backlash and uh, then part of the other part is to cleanse the sin and so the scripture by the way for the thing of Adam uh, polluted as a baby is found in Ezekiel uh, 16.22 and so we have these awesome things we have these 
incredible, incredible things. And I want to continue on after Jan plays for my break. Thank you. 
So again, thank you, Janet Lee, for that spirit of sound, that spirit of energizing. Thank you. And hello again out there, everybody. Well, you know, we like to think of our people as family of God, because that is really what the Bible is all about. The father ministry means that there is a mother. The father ministry means that there are the offspring, the firstborn offspring. And they are patterns of above, of the father's house, of the heaven of heavens. And so it's very, very important in that sense of, of understanding the reality of this thing about the church of the firstborn, which it mentions in the book of Hebrews. And it says in the 12th chapter and the 22nd through 23rd verse, you are coming to the Mount Zion and into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, prior to that, in Hebrews, Paul was writing, about how that when the Egyptians under Pharaoh were put in the terrible, unfortunate circumstances of having all their firstborn children die, and how that that angel of death was out there, and even the people who were under Moses could have been susceptible to it if they didn't keep certain spiritual uh, actions and commitments. And so in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, in the 28th uh, uh, verse, it says, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So there is a scripture that is so very interesting. We've preached on it early in the teaching of the Deuteronomy message of the Exodus escape. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And the Lord our God spake unto us at Horeb, saying, We have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Verse 7. Go to the mountain of the Amorites, and you see, he says, you have a destiny. You have a job. And you've been in this mountain long enough. And it's like Paul when he wrote and he says, leaving the principles of the foundations of the dark doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again. Those same things that have been taught, and he lists them, laying on of hands. The baptisms. It's not that any of those things are going to be subtracted, but it's that 
once you come into the learning, the Bible doesn't want us to be ever learning and never coming to the the ultimate stability of that truth. And once we get to the stability of that truth and we have learned something and it has become a part of us and a part of our life, then we have to move on in the 30, 60, 100-fold staircase, ladder, lattice, that goes upward to the point of return. And so those things are absolutely essential and they're absolutely important. And the Passover symbolism of the Old Testament is all a part of that. We have to be in the constancy of that Passover mentality. And there are so many things that are inherited in our bestial aspect of human body, flesh, that we have to work earnestly on trying to enter a Passover that allows us to pass over those things. And so this whole teaching that we're given about the holy leaps is such a new comfort in a way of thinking how that the lineal path and the elongation of that lineal path and the sweeping referendum of years of that uh, lineal path can be cut short by the quickening actions of the holy leaps and that we can leap closer to the nucleus of God by jumping from one orbit to another orbit that is vastly closer and more within the measurable aspect of where a person is edified by the Holy Ghost. And so I want to breathe those kind of salutations of thoughts upon you today. And I want us to understand that we must be born again from above. And being coming born again from above is all part of being part of the family of this church of the firstborn. And there is a, a relationship there that is absolutely exotic and absolutely beautiful. And many, many scriptures refer to it. You know, uh, it talks about, you know, the, the first fruit. Um, it talks about uh, a time in the Bible uh, to, to, to be born. And those things have concrete steel essence that needs to be taken in. The Bible in Exodus 23, 16 talks about the first fruits of our labors. And there's the first fruits of them that slept. So you can actually go back in time. Like when Moses went back in time to take on the message of Seth, that allowed Seth to move forward in time. And then by them both moving forward in time together, becoming one, you had a firstborn of spirit experience. The Bible even gives examples of Manaphotis with animals, where it says his glory is like the firstlings of 
of his bullock. Because the firstlings were the ones that were, were used for the offerings. And those things are just all, all, all beautiful and all representative of this whole idea of the firstborn. Now, we cannot take away from the fact that it talks about the first Adam. And so when we talk about the first Adam, we are talking about the firstborn Adam. And so as far as the Adam concept goes, the physical Adam was the, was the first, firstborn. That did not mean that the aspect of the secondborn did not have another connection before the foundations of the world in which he became the firstborn of all creation. But it does mean, though, that there still was reserved an important application to the idea of the first Adamic firstborn status. So that in the fifth chapter of Genesis, when it talks about the generations of, of Adam, and we see that continuum going on all the way <clears throat> to the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and how that, that that root was carried forth so that it could be a major sample part in, in the body of Christ. And that these things are all being manifested in the physical by an invisible God who understands our physical creation. So, this thing of the firstborn is absolutely essential and we cannot look at it lightly. Now, the firstborn blessing. What else can we say about it? We talked before in, this, on, in regards to this blessing. Hebrews 12, 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood. People interpret that, that you've got to die or something. But we're talking about something more spectacular than that. We're, we're talking about a striving against the things in us that do not belong to the firstborn fruit. Uh, we're talking about not killing ourselves or allowing ourselves to be martyred, but to establishing and getting hold of the scarlet thread ministry that lives in us in the kingdom of God within and holding on to that scarlet thread because that is our connection to the firstborn family and the church of the firstborn in heaven. And so these things are critical to understand. And in Hebrews 11, 28, um, KJV, it talks about the faith that it takes. The faith uh, to understand that faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. And how that when in Colossians 1, 24, it talks about um, Paul said, my travail for you and suffering of the afflictions of Christ. He was carrying in his body, the Bible says, the marks of Jesus Christ. And there is that transference possibility in which there are transferences. So the Bible teaches a very strange thing 
in, in, in the Moses Revelation. It says that one of the ramsons for, for Israel will be Egypt and Ethiopia and certain other nations, that those people, that, that their death would become a ransom for Israel. So there is this thing of transference that's so deep and so almost foreboding to think about in which as people go into the sleep, there is a way of bringing them back out by making an application of them in the baptisms of the dead, in your prayers, and then having there become an equation in which because you have connected yourself with those people who are who are part of the family of God, but are in a, some of them in fallen, fallen states, others of them just in sleeping states, that you are then able to make this transfer. And that is a beautiful thing because it's all part of the scarlet thread. So we must not take any of these things for granted. And we must remember in Romans eleven sixteen, for if the first fruits be holy, the lump, the physical root, is also holy. So that we see that in that revelation, that if there is a part of that part of the whole which is holy, it is of such strength, it is of such dynamics, that it has the potential to, in its power of transference, to make the whole lump to be holy or to make the effect of it. So it's like in science where there are certain kinds of particles uh, that do not have gravity because they do not have uh, any mass, but they have the effect of having mass. So that because they have the effect of having mass, they do have the potential for gravity. Where there are those particles that do not have any heat but may have the effect of having a fusion kind of heat. So that the effect of their heat is equal to as if they did have the heat, although they do not have it. So that is the same as this thing in Romans eleven sixteen. For if the fruit, first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. The whole body and if the root be holy, so are the branches. The expansion will be holy because the root was holy. And this is the awesomeness of transference in its very spiritual kind of deep way. And it, it has a lot to do with my teaching of the Exodus Escape 26, in which I talked about the arm of Moses and and the balance of the whirlwind ministries, and, and all of the things that uh, connect uh, with that uh, whirlwind type of ministry. And when we think of the whirlwind ministry, we, we saw that in Genesis 8-1, uh, where it mentions a wind did a certain action, that the same Hebrew word for that wind also means that it's a whirlwind. And... Therefore, we get into the pneuma. We get into the idea of breath. 
And um, we get into the action part in Second Kings 2, uh, 1 through 11, where Elijah is taken up to heaven. So we get into the, the quickening, the, the change from the body, uh, a human flesh location to a, a, a spiritual spirit location. And we see in the revelations that men received, like how that Job, Job 38, 1, was revealed the morning star ministry through a whirlwind reveal. And how in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about wheels like whirlwinds. And Ezekiel talks about the whirlwind out of the north and all the revelations about the ziths and, and, and the ophan that, it, that he received. Now, I, I mentioned this, some of this before, but it's really important for what I'm getting ready to, to leap into. And Hosea 7, uh, 8, 7 Hosea 8, 7, they that sow the wind can reap the whirlwind. Now that sounds bad, and it can be bad, but it doesn't have to be bad because there's two sides to every coin. And, and so there is the negative and the positive. And so whenever the negative is mentioned, you have to also know that somewhere then there exists the positive of it. And wherever the positive is mentioned, you have to also know that somewhere there is a negative of it. And so by knowing one part, you know another part. And that allows you to be able to deal with that so that you can create this intervening wall that is the middle wall of, of, of separation and, 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 and break that down. So this is all part of the rushings then. And the rushings are the churnings that have to happen inside of us. We, and the churnings are part of being stirred up by the Spirit stirred up by desire, stirred up by intention so that you can, you can get into these things and you can have power. You know, there, there is a scripture and I don't think I'll have time to get into it today and to read it, but it basically teaches that, that when the um, certain group of invaders uh, burnt the bones of the children of Edom and that because of this, Great plagues were put on those people because they burned the bones. Well, suppose that in Ezekiel 37, 38, where you have the example of the dry bones, and there's a whole valley of them, that someone had burned all of those bones. And suppose that they weren't there. Then if they had not been there, then there would not be the opportunity for God to say, go to this certain place. Go to this certain valley. And there, see what you tell me that it is that you behold. And Ezekiel says, why, there's a tremendous graveyard out here, but the bones aren't in the earth, they're on top, they're very dry, and there's an incredible large number, just a huge number of these bones. Oh, thank God that they weren't burned. Because then God says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to breathe. I want you to whirlwind on those bones. I want them to be quickened so that the bones will come into bones and sinew will come into sinew. And life will come back into those bones and those people will live again. You know, don't burn the bones. You need to pass over that. When you start feeling like arthritis has taken over your bones, when you start feeling like age is taking over your bones, 
and you have a resentment that is like a fire because you resent that you're old or getting old or thinking old. You resent that you've got pain. You resent that you've got arthritis. You resent that you've got sickness. And you burn in your anger against those bones. And it's just a burn-up mentality that basically destroys all the things that those bones have done for you. The places they have taken you. The places they have not taken you. The times that they have caused you to stand up, to salute, to make allegiance. The times they have caused you to run from danger or to run to face the enemy to defeat him. You lose all of that gratitude. You lose all of that thankfulness when you burn your bones by your anger. God said, I don't go for that. Don't burn the bones because someday the whirlwind is coming down in the dry bones of Ezekiel. And the bones are going to come back. Those, those in the sleep are going to come back. That's the power of the teaching of regeneration. That is the power that's going to pierce the intervening wall of the middle wall of partition. And it doesn't matter what, what name or what title that anyone has. They will all be susceptible to the wonders of God. And the churnings will spin. And it will be an awesome thing. And now I want to get into something here that is just totally awesome. I have never taught this teaching before. And I'm going to teach, give it to you now. Of course, I wouldn't be able to cover the whole awesomeness of this teaching in today's message, but it is called the fifth column quintessence. The fifth column. C-O-L-U-M-N. Fifth. F-I-F-T-H. Quintessence. Which also means five. And it means a special kind of five. An essence, a a beauty, a fragrance, a glorious thing. You could say that as a result of the potential of this fifth column quintessence, there is available super energy that can reverse laws that can suspend nature. It's very interesting that the very word column comes from the Latin columna and the word columna in Latin means pillar it also in Latin means columen which means top or summit well we have scriptures like in Revelations but before I, I get into some of those things, I want to introduce how and why this message is so important and how that 
of this fifth column revelation, there is a penetration of this revelation throughout all the universe. In Proverbs chapter 9, it says, Wisdom hath built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Now when you talk about those pillars, you are talking about the fifth column, quintessence. And it reminds me of a few experiences that I have had with Shekinah pillars. I remember one time being parked, and um, this was way, way up north. And I was, sort of had fallen asleep behind the wheel, and then something woke me up. And as I looked out through the window, I saw a pillar, a pillar that was made of, of it looked like white smoke. But I knew immediately that it was a Shekinah, a glory pillar. It was Shekinah glory. Same kind of substance, the same kind of thing like that the cloud that were around the ziths that kept the ziths from being seen of the 20,000 angels that went before the people of, of God. And I had several experiences with seeing these gigantic pillars that just reached up beyond, beyond the sky. You couldn't see the end of it. Well, these pillars represent the Shekinah glory, and they're tied into this whole revelation of the fifth column, quintessence. And it says, Wisdom has built her house and has hewed out the seven pillars. Now, whether you are connected with being able to have availability all the wisdom of those seven pillars is only proven when the actuation of that occurs. But that does not stop the fact or the actuality that is past tense what the Bible teaches. Wisdom has built her house. There is this spiritual house and it's already built. And all the things that it means and all of it is partitions and all the aspects of it and the axis of it and the peak of it and the dimension of it. It's done. And it already has hewn out seven pillars. And all those particular seven pillars have particular differentiations and different applications. And it says in verse 3, or 2, she has killed her beasts. She has mingled her wine. She has also furnished her table. That's a wow. You have any mortal beast problems? You have people that you live with, that you deal with, that are very beastly in their relationship with you and in their non-respect of you? When it says she has killed her beast, it doesn't have to mean she's murdered them. It can mean she has taken dominion over them. 
and quieted their spirit. There's examples of that in the book of Zechariah where there's these stirrups that happen. But then it says, but then comes this white horse and, and it, it, it calmed, quieted the spirit. She has killed her beasts. She has mingled her wine. This wine is always symbolic of the blood of Jesus. It's pure, pure genetic blood. This whole thing of this purification has to happen. She has furnished her table. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus taught. And there is such deep 30, 60, 100-fold meaning to that. And that is a, is a situation that has to be put on the table like the Lord's Supper. And there has to be a furnishing of that. In the Old Testament, when they were doing the holy articles that went into the holy of holy, there was this table that was made. And I'm going to share more about that later. And, and it had a crown of gold around it. And the shoe bread was put on that table. And the measurement of it was done by a hand breath. Well, when we start getting into this thing about the hand, we start get, getting into a relationship numerically with the term fifth or five because we have five fingers. And this is so important in the, the revelation of all these things. And the Bible says that there was a, a place within the Holy of Holies that there was a fire that was lit. And it said from the time that that fire was first lit, it must never, never be allowed to go out because it's, it was meant to be a forever burning fire. Now there's quite a story and a person could preach hours on that whole thing and tell about many things. But there is a message in that ever-burning fire. It, it, it's it's a, a continuum of quickening. So that in the, the interfold and the interface of the holy leaps, the quickening helps you perpetuate your spirituality and your physical longevity. So it says, and she sent forth her maidens, and she crieth upon the highest places of the city. That thing of the highest places, the Bama. Whosoever is simple, let him turn in hither. Don't be so complicated that you can't receive the Holy Spirit. Don't be so complicated that you can't believe the deep things of God. The Bible said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. Being poor in spirit doesn't mean that you have little to account for. Being poor in spirit is a state at which you are always in a receptive condition to need more of God. 
and never being so full that it's like having filled yourself with a meal or with cake and you can't possibly eat anymore, which is a very human animal state. But it's a, it's a, it's a more powerful state in which you always keep a reserve so that your energy is just not in you and never moving, so that your energy is moving out in its prayers for the, for the world, in its prayers for the lost, in, in, for your family, for your loved ones, for, for situations that are boundless. That then keeps you always having room because of that displacement and that simplicity of fact allows you to become great in God. Let the simple turn in hither. And for him that wanteth understanding, come eat of my bread, drink of my wine, which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Now, there's another part of this I got to read. Chapter 8, Proverbs. Doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top, the bama of high places, by the way in the place of path. She crieth at the gates, at the channels, at the entrance of the city, at the coming of the doors. Unto you, O men, I call. My voice is to the sons of man. Now listen to this. How involved is this fifth column quintessence? It's involved big time. Here it goes. Chapter 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before the works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from beginning, from the beginning, Ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part, nor the dust of the world. In other words, before Genesis. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, I was there when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its decree and the waters, that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable parts of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. What's it talking about? It's talking about the wisdom. That was the subject of that chapter. The wisdom, the pillars of wisdom. Now we get into this fifth column of, of quintessence, which is this belongs to this pillars. Now you have so many interesting things. Let's look at Revelations. Chapter 6, 
And let me just read you something there. Chapter 6, verse 9. Revelation 6, verse 9. And this is a very interesting one. And I, and I haven't preached this aspect uh, of it before. Okay. But listen carefully. And when he had opened the fifth seal, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Dost thou not judge and avenge our bl blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren, that they should be killed as they were and should be fulfilled. Now, people don't understand what it means to rest. But I want to tell you something. That the Sabbath doesn't mean that you stop breathing. That the Sabbath doesn't mean that you stop seeing or hearing or living. In fact, if a person carefully reads it, you can see that the first man was actually made on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath really isn't the age, day kind of thing that people think it is, other than it being the day of the Lord, which represents the Lord. And so, as we begin to see that and get into that, we realize that these people under the altars, when it says rest, we, we, we can find all kinds of cases in which that in the rest, you know, is something that talks about in the Bible that people have not come into the rest. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean that they haven't been to sleep or they haven't died or, or, or they, they haven't, uh, you know, kept the Sabbath. When it says they haven't come into the rest, it's talking about something very spiritual, about a, 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 a place of strength, about a place that is very special. And so it's an, a, another word for wait, W-A-I-T. You come into the, to the, the rest, you come into the wait. So what happens during the wait? Here's what the scripture says. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So there's this rest or wait that you'll renew your strength. It's a time of actually getting stronger. It's not a time of just falling asleep and not knowing what is cognizant or going on. It's a time of, of getting stronger, of renewing your strength and of mounting up with wings as eagles. Mounting up with wings as eagles. That's what the rest is. People have not entered into the wait. They have not entered into the, the rest. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew those, their strength. They have not come into the west. Into the west. Into the west. To the rest. So let's go on. Now, who are those people then under the altar? Well, they are what the Bible describes in Jude 8 and 2 Peter 2.10 as dignitaries. And that is so beautiful. They're clothed with these white robes, which is 
in Revelations 10.1, it talks about being clothed with a cloud and Jesus had a rainbow upon his head. And those same kind of things apply to God's people who are representing him. They're into the rainbow covenant. They're into the, into the, the Shekinah glory. And they're, they're dignitaries. They, they ha- they're elect angels. They haven't become re- totally restored yet. But in that state, they want to go out and they want to be involved in the to those who need to be yet delivered and redeemed. And so they are the dignitaries, the guardian angel dignitaries of the old fans. Revelations 10.1, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow upon his head, his face as the sun, his feet as pillars. Getting back to that thing of the wisdom. So we're dealing then with so much of of the, the lead-in and the lead-out. The fifth seal. So neat. And then in Revelation 21, 16, it says the, the city lieth four square. And when you really read it, you can see it's, it's a square cube. A, a square cube. But you see that, that beyond that, that square cube, beyond that number four, Four rivers, four winds of the earth, the square of the earth, in that revelation of all of those things, the north, the south, the east, the west, that there is another force. The fifth angel sounded, and the fifth trumpet. And I saw a star fall from heaven. And when you read that whole story, that's the negative aspect of the fifth column. Because if there's a positive aspect, there's a negative. Now the fifth column is a pillar of intelligent consciousness. The fifth column of quintessence has physical applications. Like when the matrix design or state of creation cannot advance without an input Then the fifth column, the pillar of wisdom, puts in a super additional design or intelligence that as being the fifth column imbues quintessence to that part of creation that hasn't been able to advance. Wow. And so, the fifth pillar, the column of realization. The fifth column called, in Exodus 13, 6, the people were harnessed, meaning five divisions like five ribs. All of that revelation about the harnessed people, that all ties in to this incredible fifth column quintessence. They were totally involved with the, with, the, with the glory that went before them. The quinta column, the quinta qual, columna. And so when we start looking for all this thing that has to do with this five, it ties into the hand breath. 
It ties into the handful. It ties into the hand and the five fingers. And so we begin to see like it was part of the Holy of Holies. And there was a table crown of gold. And the measurement of that was done by a hand breath, as described in Exodus 37, 10 through 12 a handbreadth around about. And you can read about that table and the crown that it had, Exodus 25, 25. And even when Solomon, who said some very mysterious things and who had the gift of wisdom, built the molten sea, Second Chronicles 4, 5 and 1 Kings 7, 26, he made that molten sea and had thousands of baths potential. And it set on 12 oxens. And the thickness of that molten sea was a hand breath, hand breath thick. So just going over these things. Hand breath, handful, five fingers. This was big time involved with the priest. It was involved in them when, when they were doing like in Leviticus 2.2, uh, when when they were making a, a special kind of offering, they would reach in and and they would uh, take a handful of flour and they would mix that uh, w with uh, oil and frankincense and make a a sweet off offering of frankincense smell unto God. And then there was a negative part where they would uh, they would uh, for people that had sins and they were making an offering they would do the handful of flour but they would not put the oil or the frankincense because it was a sin offering and this ministry of the hand breath and of the handful and this thing of the hand is all part of this thing of the fifth column now won't take me very long to finish this for now but let me do that the Bible says, I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders. What does it mean, stretch out your hand? It doesn't mean a fist. Your hand is not stretched out with a fist. It means all your fingers are stretched out. They have meaning capability. The pointing finger, the the crystal eye finger, the ring finger. There are many different kinds of fingers. They all have specific meaning. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders. In Exodus 3.20, you read about this kind of thing. And Exodus 4.4, 4, you read from Exodus 2 to 4 where he says, what is that to your hand? He said, that's a rod. He said, throw it on the floor, it becomes a serpent. He said, now reach out and take it up by the tail. This whole ministry is about the hand. And the Bible says, Moses stretched out his hand, that's five fingers, and the sea was caused to turn back and draw. Six, thy right hand, Lord, has become glorious in power. And when Moses was having this incredible experience in which he says, I, I want to see God. And, and Yahweh says, I, I can't let you see the deep 
inner face of God. I can't let you see that. But I will, I will cover thee with my hand as I pass by and, and as my glory passes by because no man can see God and live. Imagine putting up a hand and that keeps, that keeps Moses from being able to see. Oh, it's much deeper than that. It's about the fifth column, quintessence. And it's so deep. It's so deep. So awesome. Now, we see that when we try to understand the Bible, when we try to understand the scriptures, that it's written by common human beings. And there is flowing in, in the human stream pollution, even of the people that are men of God. And there is this Babylonian uh, language, this Babel, and so that when people are talking and writing, and, and they're in different races and, and different denominations uh, of genealogy, there is great mix-ups of the language of life that have in it warps of the history of truth. And so as we, we see that, we see how incredible that is. So you have things like the negative dark forces that are like a Trojan horse. It looks like it's a gift. You think, oh, how magnificent. And you bring it into your city. You close the gate thinking the enemy is locked outside, but the enemy is inside the gift, just waiting for you to go to sleep so it can open the gate and let the hordes of the forces of darkness come in and destroy you. That's the evil fifth column. But on the other side of the fifth column, the quintessence, it is for building an explanation and an insight and a manifestation so that there will be no people who live able to, to have, have no reason to believe in God. So there is a fifth property and there's more to be taught to you about that. And there is a spirit property and there are different choices of directions. And the story of the Shekinah glory pillar is awesome. And the scriptures cannot be broken. John 10, 33 says, you are gods, come on, get with it. You can't break that fact that you are gods. Jesus said it can't be broken. There's nothing you can do to break that scripture. It can never be dissolved. It can never be distracted from the statement that is made. You are gods, that's it, point blank, period. You are into the fifth column. Psalms 36, 9, we're almost through here. Forthwith, for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we, we see the light. You see more light with light. It's a totally different aspect in this revelation of the fifth column of the quintessence. Now, my last part here. Isaiah 42, 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteous sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. See, the law which came on the mount and which came through other revelations 
which would seem in itself that's supposed to be holy, is not good enough alone because it's true meaning and the meaning that is sub underneath it, that is the real quintessence, has not yet been seen. So you have to magnify that law so that the whole body of it comes forth. And when, when that is magnified, then the order of its reality begins to be seen and understood. And so in Psalms 56, it says, And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, Selah. Psalms 29, 7, The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire, and there is the holy, 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 the thirty, sixty, hundredfold. And there is one other last thing as I close this I want to say. There is the experience with Daniel. Well, Bel Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, made a command and told his servants to go and get the holy items that had been taken from Israel and used them in his banquet. And he began to take those holy, sacred vessels and pour wine into his gods and people celebrate. And when that happened, the column of quintessence came into the celebration place. And as Belshazzar was sitting there, all of a sudden he looked over at the wall because he thought he saw a movement. And number five appeared. A hand, five fingers. And it began to write on the wall something that he could not understand nor read. And he says, if, I, if there's any of you magicians that can read this, read it to me. And none of them could. And none of the people that were of the highest learning and wisdom could read it because they were in the wrong column. They were in the dark side column. And he says, I will make this person be third in power in the kingdom who can ever read this and interpret it. And then Daniel was chosen. And he read it. And he said, you are found weighed in the balance. You are found, you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the story of much of the world out there today when it comes to the revelation and the manifest revelation of the things of God. They are weighed in the balance and the balance that is not known is part of the unknown God that people are worshiping. And God is trying to pierce the wall and bring this revelation of the Holy Manifest. Ladies and gentlemen, God bless you. Family of God, children of the Church of the Firstborn, God bless you.